Well, if you know anything about us here at Stay Forth, you know that we are passionate about helping leaders to get healthy and reach more impact. In fact, everything we do centers around that mission. We want to help leaders to find sustainable impact. And guys, it breaks our hearts when there's a moral failure, we hear about a burnout of a leader, and we want to prevent more leaders from a crash or from a burnout situation. And our coaching helps leaders to clarify. Our experiences help leaders to replenish as they get away from some of the grind in the everyday and really clarify their next season. Guys, we want to invite you to help us. But before we do that, we just want to say thanks to some of the families that have come alongside of us. Now, you know who you guys are, but we want to say thanks to these couples, Josh and Jacqueline, Dave and Debbie, Brad and Kelly, Ed and Mary Lou, Casey and Amy, Dan and Lauren. Thank you guys so much. These folks are supporting us so that we can help support more at-risk leaders. Now, if you're interested in coming alongside of us, we invite you to help us so that we can help more. We want to grow our scholarship fund so we can provide more coaching to help leaders clarify and more experiences to help leaders replenish. We're doing what we can, but we want to be able to scholarship more and more leaders so that money isn't a barrier for those folks who want to get involved and who want us to be able to serve them and support them through the season. So you can go to storehouse.world, that's storehouse.world, and think somewhere between Kickstarter and Patreon for Kingdom Leaders, incredible new platform. And for as little as $10 a month, you can help build the scholarship fund. So not only do things like this podcast continue to go out, but we can scholarship more at-risk leaders to help them clarify through coaching, replenish their experiences so they can get healthy and reach sustainable impact. Guys, it is possible to live and lead healthy for the long haul without losing our soul. And we just want to remind you that we're seeing incredible life transformation. And would you help us to be able to serve more leaders in 2021? Edward, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Coming in from satellite internet from the middle of the hills in an undisclosed location. Looks like a really cool cabin that you're coming in from. Um, Talk a little bit about your life. I know you have kind of this one-two punch of the city and then retreating and getting away in creation. Talk a little bit about the context of your life and your work. Well, yeah, I, I, my, my, <laughs> my, my, my location is, is, is hardly secret. I'm in Western Massachusetts in the, the Berkshire Hills, uh, which is just beautiful this time. It's a beautiful any time of year, but, um, my wife and I, uh, bought a little place up here, a getaway place. Oh, a little more than 20 years ago. Um, you know, we, we basically live and work in New York city in Manhattan. Um, but when the pandemic struck, um, this this little place was a, just a godsend for us um, because otherwise we would have been trapped in this. Anybody who knows Manhattan real sure. estate knows that the apartments are kind of small and we would have been trapped, the two of us, with our 75-pound golden retriever, Gracie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we would have been trapped down there. So to come up here and to sort of reconnect with nature and reconnect with each other um, was was a blessing. It was It, it felt like God's hand was on it. Um, and that's where, you know, I've been most of the time back and forth a little bit into New York City, but I've been working up here in the country. And we have, um, at Guidepost, have, uh, have been working remotely, like a lot of you, for the last uh, 14 months or so. 
Um, and that's created both challenges and rewards. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that too. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get into that. And you guys have done some major relaunch, uh, which I love. I'm hearing a lot of innovation that's sparking from the last, you know, 15, 16 months of um, crisis and limitations and those kind of things. So absolutely would love to, to dig into that. Um, let's zoom back to your story. You guys are seeing some incredible things at Guideposts. You're bringing hope to people all around around the world. Um, but there was a moment, there was a season when your life was in shambles. Tell us about that season. Well, I, I you know, I'll say right off the bat that, that I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, and at the time that I came to Guideposts, which was a while ago, my life was in shambles. I was virtually homeless. In fact, I had been uh, at one point after I finished graduate school, I had spiraled down downwards into alcoholism, depression, um, some drug use. Uh, for a while, I was living on the streets. Um, I had gotten sober for a couple of years, um, was feeling like, you know, I was strong again. And, you know, deep down inside, I think I felt like I didn't really need God to stay sober. And I, I did. I fell off the wagon very badly while I was in Europe working on a book for a company that I was employed by. Um, I got back to New York and, and my life just was, I, it was just terrible. I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And those couple of years of sobriety had gone completely down the drain. Um, I tried to get back into my 12-step program, which, which I was able to. And then I get a, uh, I get a call from a recruiter uh, that I had never heard of before who had, was in possession of my resume. And I know for a fact that I never sent this person my resume. <laughs> but she said, would you like to go do an interview, uh, a job interview at Guideposts? Well, no, I, I had never heard of Guideposts. But I thought, aha, mm, Guideposts, a travel magazine. I'll get some free trips out of this. <laughs> this might be a good fit. To hang out now, Alan. If you were to change the word trip to journey, uh, guideposts that that would be that would be more accurate because guideposts has been a journey for me. So I I came into the office. I had my interview. I was really sort of there was there was a, something about the place and that just it appealed to me in such a counterintuitive way because um, I was not a person of faith at the time. Um, I read a few issues of the magazine. I said, these stories are really pretty amazing. I, you know, I could do this for a little while. I had a, a my sponsor in my 12-step program said, look, you know, just find a job, any job, keep it for a year while you work on your sobriety and you work on your spirituality and your relationship with your higher power just for a year. So I said, all right, I can, I can hang out in this joint for a year. And in my alcoholic mind, I'm thinking, well, it's really just about six months, you know, I'll work on my resume and I'll use this Xerox machine and, you know, I'll get, I'll get another job. I'll, I'll, I'll go to a big pile, I'll go to Condé Nast or New York Times or Hearst or something like that. And, you know, that year was, uh, that was 35, 36 years ago. <laughs> it's still kind of a year at a time. Um, but I stayed at Guidepost. You know why I think I stayed? Um, because I really began to get sober in a, in a very meaningful way and in a, in a very spiritual way. And my, 
I, I began to feel more connected to God. And I think the combination of recommitting myself to my 12-step program, plus being exposed to these, this audience, these people, and their incredible stories about how faith, hope, and prayer in, inform their daily lives, not just Sunday, not just Wednesday Bible study, but really, you know, it, their faith was woven in the fabric of their lives. And I, I saw people struggle and triumph and, um, and that began to really inspire me um, and deepen my own faith. And it finally felt to me like God had put me at guideposts. He's, he, he put me there and said, I'm going to help you get sober um, in a place where sobriety can flourish for you. But in return, I want you to do my work. And that work was my work at Guideposts, which is why I never sent my resume out to anyone after that first year. And uh, as I said, I've been there ever since. And it's been the greatest, I think, reward of my life. Wow. What's so powerful about writing to you? You know, I'll, 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 I'll give you an example. We have... Um, we have a book called Daily Guideposts, which is um, our devotion book. It's It's been around for a long time. And we sell a good number of copies of it every year, around about a half million. Um, and there was my editor-in-chief at, at Guideposts was a, was a sort of a Guidepost legend named Van Varner. And after I had been at Guideposts for a few years as a writing editor, um, helping people tell their stories of, of hope and faith and inspiration, uh, he he wanted me to start writing devotional, try my hand at these these little, you know, tiny little three hundred word stories, um, and I was I didn't want to do it. I, I at that point I, I wasn't very public in my faith or in who I was. I didn't write about it much, and he kept bugging me to do it and do it. So finally, I wrote one. Uh, I wrote it. it believe it or not, it was a devotion about guacamole. Uh, how do you get a devotion about guacamole? Well, I had, I had gone into van one morning and said that Julie and I, my wife, had had a, a bad argument about the recipe for guacamole that we're using, and I had screwed up by putting too much salt in. I don't oh know, no! Something like classic that. mistake, but Edward. Classic mistake. I know. I know. And uh, so, and and I said that you know, and Van said, you know, that argument really wasn't about the guacamole; it's about your relationship. Why don't you write a little devotional about that? And I thought, <laughs> you want me to write? guacamole and he says no i want you to write about yourself and so i wrote the devotional and i reworked it and reworked it the way van always made me do and i found some satisfaction in that and i began to write regularly devotions for daily guideposts and why i i, I bring it back to this subject is that by writing these devotionals by looking for moments in my life stories in my life instances in my life that I could see God's hand reflected in my experiences on a day-to-day basis. Writing these devotionals expanded my deep in my faith. It and then and, and it, it 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 transformed me into thinking about my life on a daily basis as a spiritual journey. Um, and and in in writing these devotionals, and I, now I've been writing them for for many years, um, it's, it's, it's helped me see my daily experiences through the filter of my faith. And I would never have gotten to that place if I hadn't begun 
writing about guacamole. I love it. The miracle of that guacamole, the first guacamole devotional. Um, yeah. We have a lot of writers who listen to this podcast. We also have aspiring writers. People want to write. What would you tell that person who's right at the edge, the young Edward, not wanting to write, scared to put themselves out? How would you inspire or encourage that person to take their next steps with writing? Well, first you have to you have to write from a point of honesty, and if it's painful, you're probably doing the right thing. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a, a little story about the my write the writing wisdom I got from from my wife Julie actually. Um, about 15 years after I'd been editor in chief of, of Godfoes for about a decade, uh, one of the one of the execs in the company said, "Well, we should have Edward write a book," because we were noticing that all these editors and chiefs of other magazines were writing books and selling them, and they had sort of a built-in audience. So, and. Uh, this, he said, you know, if we can't sell a, a book with Edward's name on it, um, we're doing something wrong. So Edward, write a book. So I was just going to write a little book about guy post stories and, you know, just sort of an overview of the magazine. <clears throat> and I was about to sign a contract to do that with Guidepost. And Julie said, look, you know, don't write some book. I don't want to, you know not see you for a year while you're writing, if you're just writing a book about guideposts, you know, write about yourself and tell, tell them this, your story of how you got to guideposts and what your life was like before that. And I never told that story to anyone. Guideposts knew nothing about that. You know, they, they did not know where I came from. Um, and so I did. I sat down and she said, write an honest book or don't write one. And that was a pretty powerful, you know, command on her part. So I sat down and I wrote the story of my journey to guideposts and what I had been through in my life up to that point and how I came to the magazine. Um, and it was difficult to, to write all of these things that I never told anyone at guideposts about. Very few people knew that about me. The condition I was in when I arrived to Guidepost. I mean, I, I don't know why they hired me. I would never have hired me. <laughs> but uh, I so I wrote a book about my struggles, um, my doubts, you know, uh, and and how I was able to a day at a time, with by the grace of God, able to overcome much of that. Um, and I handed the book in. People were surprised, but they liked it. We published it, and it did very, very well. Um, but my my advice is to to be painfully honest, and that doesn't mean you know tell them everything or be exhibitionistic in your writing. Uh, there's a difference between being exhibitionistic and being honest. But honest, what what an audience wants, and remember, as a writer, you're writing for your an audience. You, you may think you're writing for yourself, but you're really writing to connect with with other people um, in a way that they can identify uh, with who you are. Um, and that you know that is that is where writing clicks is is where when you can 
you know, the, the communication is so difficult, but when you can bring a part of yourself to an audience in a way that helps them to know, uh, then you're doing your work as a writer. Agreed. Never forget your audience. Agreed. Now that that's so that's so good. If you're listening to this and wondering what should I write about, don't miss that statement on pain. If you're writing about pain, right? Hopefully in a hopeful, redemptive way, non-exhibitionist. I think that's so helpful as a starting spot. I've noticed conversation. That's the place where we converse, right? Is the pain that we have as parents that gather in our neighborhood over coffee. We talk about the pain of parenting and the challenges of the pandemic this last year and how it changed us and how we're different. And those are painful conversations, but actually healing and helpful at the exact same time. That's such good advice, Edward. Thanks for that. Talk about criticism a little um, bit. I mean, I, I just want to add one thing you use the word conversation and, and that is, is that's really the key to, to, um, I mean, you are having a conversation with your readers, whether you're writing a book or whether we're editing stories mm -hmm. for the magazine. Yeah. We are in conversation with an audience who is there for a reason because we, because that audience thinks they can be helped by the conversation, and that's your really that's your purpose as a writer is is, is to put yourself out there in a way that is helpful to other people to know. Mm. Yeah. Now you were asking about criticism. Yeah, criticism. Talk about that. I mean, I I've gotten a two star beatdown on Amazon. I mean, I know the feeling of criticism, but there's this tension there. Talk about that tension between encouragement and honesty in criticism. Well, <laughs> you know, criticism is is. You know there are, there are different types of criticism, and it depends on how the the criticism is is delivered. If it's delivered in a in a loving way, as as a writer and editor, you know, I've, for decades now I've been putting my work out there, and you know, it it part of the pro process of writing is you know is is incorporating the criticism you'll get for your writing. Um, and to learn from it. I mean, I just always tell myself if 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 someone doesn't like something I wrote or or has an objection to it or is bothered in some way by it, that you know I take that part of the criticism that can help me and I use it um, because you know in the end you learn more from your critics than you do from your fans. Um, your fans will tell you what they love, but you know, you sort of know what they love or you wouldn't be writing for them. It's the critics. It's the ones who see flaws in your work or have, or just have questions about what, but what, what your work means. They're the ones that get you to think about what you're doing. Um, you know, it, it is, you know, criticism should be hard. You should feel defensive and, and uncomfortable when you're criticized, but you shouldn't be deaf to it or blind to it because there's usually something there. Now, some people, you know, are trollish in their criticism. When someone is, is criticizing you to hurt you, that's not criticism. You know, that's, that's just an attack. Um, but, you know, going, you know, guy, the, the experience of writing a guidepost, um, you know, we, we work the material very, very hard, which means there's a lot of rewriting because we're working with, with people who are not really authors and we're trying to help them tell their stories and the editing process 
you know, is is one of those it, it guideposts is, is, a, is an arduous one. We work on the stories and I can remember in the beginning of my career how many drafts of the piece I would have to get through. And I, you know, I'd want to just rip it up and walk away. But I knew that it was in, you know, it was in, within that criticism that I was receiving that I was going to grow as a writer. Um, but it can be hard. And it took me years. It took me years. I, I, you know, I think, I'm, you know, a lot of my problems with drugs and alcohol, alcohol had to do with an ego that, that had difficulty accepting criticism. I was, you know, I, I can't, I, I, I was a, a, a playwright before I, I got to guide those. I was, um, you know, at, at, um, I was in at the Yale School of Drama. I was in the playwriting program, an MFA program. It was really brutal, you know, the, the criticism you got on your work, you know, and in and, and playwriting in particular, everything gets read aloud and you hear it and, and you cringe and you, and you, 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 you tear your hair out and bite your lip. And, you know, I had real problems with it back then. It, it, I think it drove me, you know, my, I was so afraid of being judged. Um, but in the end, I had to learn to accept that judgment. I mean, if, in the end, the only judgment that matters is, is God's judgment. So what people say is not the final word. Um, and it, 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 you have to learn, or what I had to learn is to, to extract from criticism what I can use to be a better writer and a better person and put the rest aside. So much of your role revolves around pulling the best out of people and the stories, also pulling the best out of your team. And talk about a little bit about that mining process. How do you mine the gold and that genius from your team to put together something that's so much bigger than the team? Right. Um, that, yeah, that and that's a in a way that's a management question. When I when I became editor in chief of Guidepost, boy, did I have some great ideas. I mean, I had wonderful ideas about <laughs> the kind of stories we were going to do and how we were going to present them, and all of that, and how I had the editorial vision for the magazine. What I didn't realize, and what is still a challenge, is the management side of that. Sure. Managing people is the most difficult and challenging thing. Um, that's ever been put for, before me, um, and 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 that push and pull, and that gets down to criticism too. Because how do you tell a writer that they're not that the story isn't going where it needs to go, and it doesn't have the the music that it needs to have, and you can't you can't do it for them all the time. Um, but there's only so much time in, in producing a magazine on a on the basis and the, the schedules that we produce magazine for them to find themselves and, and and to find out the solutions on their own. So there's this it's a, it's a high wire act of bringing someone along, but letting them find their way at the same time. Um, and as and, and writing, that's that's that can be really complicated. Uh, but what you need for people to really grow as writers, or I think as employees in general, they really need to discover their own strengths without you 
without you telling them exactly what they are. Um, because it's in that discovery when a person discovers what their gifts are and what their strengths are and, and, and learns how to express them with, with encouragement from you, but not, you know, not doing it for them. That's the balance. Um, and I've worked with a lot of young writers at Guideposts, and it's always a tremendous opportunity to take someone who you know is talented but doesn't know what to do with their talent and, and guide them in, down that path. I remember my first editor, Edward, in my first book. I, um, it, was, it was a moment where he had moved to town and he'd been sort of marking up uh, my paper as I saw it with red marks and red pen and uh, not, not his posture at all, but that's how I saw it, right? The criticism was, was painful, um, but I realized he's actually making me a better writer. Like this first one's really, really important. And we sat down to coffee and uh, his name's David. I said, David, is the me that you experienced on the pages the same me over this cup of coffee after an hour and a half for two hours? And he said, yes, same person. Uh, and in that moment, I trusted him and he really helped to pull that out. So it's, it's just bringing back really good memories for me of saying, man, this is so valuable, like to be coaxed along in who I was, the genius mind, but he was guiding me in, in that way. It wasn't just marking up a red paper like I saw from a teacher, but I, it was actually kind of, you know, green marks heading, do more of this, head toward this. And it really helped to sort of funnel me toward toward that. That was my exact experience. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Really well said. Um, you're in a biz where the deadlines are always coming and the next article is coming, the next project's coming, and you're working on schedules, yet you have to zoom out and make time for those strategic vision moves. How do you balance that, zooming into the next project and zooming out for vision and long-term planning? You know, that's a, that's a constant challenge. Um, and my role at Guideposts over the past year has, has changed quite a bit. Um, and I feel like it's kind of, you know, I think geography has a lot to do with it being up here in the hills. You know, my, my title has changed uh, to Vice President of Strategic Content Development. And a larger part of my job now is thinking about the future and the future of content for guideposts and, and what so, sort of stories do we want to tell and continue to tell. And I've, I've pulled back from the day-to-day -day, um, management of the magazine, which is to say I'm not line editing everything that comes through. And, and <clears throat> this has been a, a it's been it's been difficult for me because I'm I was so used to for so many years of of you know editing every single caption that was in the magazine. I don't do that now. And one of the things I had to learn was that I've had a staff with me for some time now, and they're very good and they can do most of what I can do. Um, and letting go of that so I could open up a space where I can think about all right. So you know what not just how to not just what stories are we going to tell tell in the future but but how are we going to tell them are we going to tell them all in print are we going to tell them in in some marriage between print and digital are we going to tell them more in podcasts or we tell them visually or in videos um and that has been an incredibly exciting thing for me to think 
about the future beyond, you know, getting the magazine to the printer. For for me, the future has been as, as an editor and writer in most of my career has been that issue that you're working on right now that has to be, you know, put together and sent to the printer and sent to the reader. And that was the future for me was the, the future was the next deadline. And, and I've been given the opportunity by guideposts to think beyond those deadlines and think more in terms of, of, of how the magazine and the, and, and the company and the, the, the content is going to expand and flourish uh, in the years to come. You know, we've been around for more than 75 years, and we certainly plan to be around for another 75 years. But what do those 75 years look like? It's really interesting to think about what guidepost is going to be like when I'm no longer here. I mean, to think about mortality, if guidepost is to survive for another 75 years, it's certainly going <laughs> to outlive me. And I wonder, and I think about, well, what's that, what outlives me? What, what, what is still here and how can I contribute to its longevity and its growth? And that's been, you know, that's been a blessing to be able to start thinking more and more like that. Um, and beyond the daily deadlines. So tell us, tell us about the future. Where are you guys heading? What have you decided for the next 75? Um, well, without, you know, without re- revealing actual, you know, strategic plans, we don't, we think that there's never been a better time for guideposts uh, than now. I mean, when, when Norman Vincent Peale Founded Guideposts in 1945. It was right after right after the end of, of the Second World War, and the country had been transformed uh, by both the trauma of the Depression, the trauma of the war, and people were coming back. and The country was evolving and changing very, very quickly um, after World War II, and Peel wanted to create a magazine uh, that was part of the national conversation. He sort of saw it as a Kiplinger report for um, for people of faith. Uh, and it, it was it was interesting because he wanted to he wanted to he he used to get you know before he, a lot of people don't realize that Norman Vincent Peale founded Guideposts seven years before he wrote the Power of Positive Thinking, which is a landmark book which is sort of the granddaddy of all kind of spiritual self-help books. Um, And he had this idea. He he had written several books before that, and he had a radio program, and he was a relatively prominent pastor uh, of this church in New York City. Um, And he used to get lots of letters from people telling little stories about their lives and how their faith and their belief in in God and in in the the redemptive power of Christ affected them in, in solving their daily problems. And he just said, oh, these are wonderful stories. I should, you know, can I start a magazine? He knew a lot of people in the publishing business. And they all kind of looked at him cockeyed and said, well, you really can't make a magazine out of every everyday people's stories. And people, when they buy a magazine, they, they're looking for heavy hitters, they're looking for big time writers, you know, recognizable names. And people thought, no, you know, I think that these people telling stories about their faith in action in their daily lives is just as important as big time writers. So he did, he launched guideposts based mostly on, um, on everyday people. He'd always put a celebrity on the cover uh, to get attention to the magazine, but what he was really doing, um, it was sort of the, 
original user generated content, which became you know a vogue expression decades later with the advent of digital and the internet. Sure. You know, and I still see that as as what Guidepost does best is to give voice to to everyday people who are learning to grow in their faith in the experiences of their daily life. And guideposts will continue to to you know, to create those that kind of content. The 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 um the challenge for us is is how do you create it in a in in content vehicles that reach the greatest number of people, and that really requires us to expand what we do beyond print into things like podcasts, like visual storytelling, and giving you know people. Because of the interactivity of the of, of digital technology, you know they they're they they they're used to getting more control of their content. So, what sort of relationship uh, can we enter into with with our audience, where their access to content is more personalized and more customizable? Um, we have. You know, years and years and years of content digitized in a in a digital uh, uh, library, and so how do we bring all that content to people in a way that is accessible to them, and specific to kind of challenges they're facing in their lives, um, and really that's you know th that's the, the future of guideposts for me is to reach more and more people. Um, with with stories that help them with, with their spiritual well-being, you know, how they can grow and how they can use our content and customize our content um, to become, you know, better, more faithful people and to find happiness in life, mm. which is what everybody wants. I think everybody wants to be happy, but it's an elusive, um, it's an elusive goal. And I, I think for most people, the people that we talk to, happiness is, is based on your relationship with God. Um, and really, that's what guidepost stories define is that relationship. Wow. I, I think so many people are asking those delivery questions. The question is not, do people need stories of hope or are we going to get this uh, to people in the future? It, no, it's it's our mission. How do we, what is the best venue for what would have to be true in order to meet people where they're at in their lives? So those questions, not only are they invaluable and inspire and encourage me, but I think so many other wise leaders are asking those right now. So, so encouraged where you guys are going, 75 years uh, of impact and of legacy and 75 or many more to come. So Edward, we always want to end with a personal question. We always want to bring it back to health and get really practical for us. So besides that retreating, spending time in creation in the Berkshires, what are some other practical ways that you stay healthy on a weekly basis? <laughs> well, you know, I, I have my, where's my, I have my golden retrievers around here somewhere. Um, she, she, she likes to, she needs a certain amount of exercise. Anybody who has a large dog knows they need to be exercised. So we've been hiking, you know, in the, in the past 14 months, we've been hiking um, about a hundred miles a month in the hills. And that is, you know, the exercise of, of, of hiking up and down mountain trails 
uh, plus being in contact with nature. And it's, it's, and it's been fascinating. So I, I've gone through all four seasons up here, hiking out in the woods with Gracie. And it's really, I mean, it's, for one thing, I've, I've lost, I lost 35 pounds during the pandemic. Wow. Uh, mostly from, from these hikes that my, my, my wonderful dog takes me on. But I've always been rather compulsive about exercise, and I have to be careful. I was into um, to indoor cycling long before it became popular. I've done maybe 100,000 miles on those um, spin bikes in my, my career. Um, but for me, um, you know, exercise is, 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 is more than just, you know, I try to take care of the, 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 the body that God gave me. And as I've gotten older, I'm more aware of, of the maintenance that's required uh, <laughs> to stay healthy. I, I have to be physically comfortable with yourself um, to be spiritually comfortable and, and to really be able to work. So I, I, ma- I make sure every single day uh, I have time to exercise. And it's for me, it's joyous because I get to do it up here with my, my golden retriever. And we both stay in good shape by, by sort of encouraging each other. That's good. That's good. Well, Edward, keep up the great work. You and the team at Guidepost continue to tell these stories of hope of what God is up to in the world. Thanks so much for your conversation today. Oh, thank you, Alan. It's been a pleasure.